Hello, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, All Day Baby. I'm joined by pop culture scholar Christopher Maverick, one of the brains behind the blog Vox Populorum and host of the Vox Popcast, in a discussion about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 5, Truth. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by a very special guest who I am honored to welcome to the show. It's pop culture scholar Christopher Maverick. Mav is a bit of a renaissance man who does a lot of cool different things, but most relevant to why we're here today is the fact that his PhD research areas include issues of race, class, gender, and sexuality in 20th and 21st century American popular culture, including television and comic books. So here we are, and I did get that from your website. Thank you for joining <laughs> me today, Mav. Hi, I, I was just, I mean, I was under the impression that I'd be joining the Avengers Initiative, that that's what this was about. You know, <laughs> that, that, like Nick Fury would just come out and ask me and I, I was all honored. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I am excited to be here. I'm, I was saying before we started recording that, you know, I had been wanting to be on the show and then we just picked a random episode and then, you know, when the series started yeah. before knowing what any of them were going to be and it's episode five. And then this happens to be about truth um, or about Isaiah Bradley, who is the, um, the main character in a comic book called truth, which is one of my all time favorite comics. I am super excited about this. <laughs> yeah. It really couldn't have worked out any better. And just so listeners know, I'll, I'll share a little bit about how we originally connected. Um, as soon as I saw the description of the, the Vox <laughs> podcast, the 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 phrase pseudo academic I was like okay all right I was like these are these are my people um the, the line you have we believe the best way to understand culture is to discuss it I was like yeah I'm in that's right up my alley <laughs> and so I started listening to to the show that you do with your co-hosts over there and I was super honored and excited when you reached out to me to guest on your WandaVision roundtable which yeah. was a lot of fun uh, so thank you again for having me on that episode. Thank you for doing it. It was great. It was great. It was, it was a fun episode. A uh, show that I loved as well. So, you know, the first question that I typically ask new guests here at There Was an Idea so that listeners can get a little feel for who you are is what is your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And I know for you, Matt, as well, you have a relationship to the comics. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few of them. <laughs> you know, like, well, let's see. I've seen. 23 of them probably about two or three or four times each so so yeah I'm, I'm 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 pretty familiar um i am a longtime comic book fan i uh i've been reading comics for oh my god i just realized how old i was i've been reading comics <laughs> for 40 years um <laughs> i when i was um when i was seven years old my parents were divorced so when i was seven years old i would fly back and forth between cleveland and houston um by myself uh, my mom would put me on a plane and, and fly me out to my dad's place Wow. And they like in either direction, they would just buy me a bunch of comic books and stick me on the plane and go, okay, here's something for you to do on your way. And don't annoy this the the flight attendants. And you know, <laughs> so I would read comics on the on the way flying from Ohio to to Texas and back. And that's just how I got into them. And then as well, I had um I had I was a kid. I was a little boy growing up in the seventies and eighties. Um, so, you know, superheroes were just a thing, you know, you, you, you watch, um, 
for, for me, given how old I was, I was watching Super Friends cartoons. I was watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Um, cool. um, the Batman TV series, which was in syndication. I was a big fan of the Incredible Hulk, the greatest American hero. So so I grew up just with with superheroes being, you know, the thing that um the thing that I was into and um particularly relevant for this at um at the time my favorite comic book character was falcon uh and falcon was my favorite uh, you know i i wish i could say there was some deep cultural analysis um <laughs> meaning but i was seven not 46 so um <laughs> so falcon was my favorite because i had the falcon i had a bunch of mego action figures mego were the original superhero action figures and they were great because um they were action figures not dolls they were totally dolls they were just barbie <laughs> dolls of superheroes <laughs> they, had, they had changeable clothing they were essentially barbie dolls um, they were really well made but i had the falcon uh, the, the falcon among other ones and falcon was my favorite because he could fly because he had wings so he could fly and he was black and that was pretty much it i had one doll that looked like me <laughs> that was i'm sorry i had one action figure that looked like me <laughs> <laughs> important <laughs> important distinction <laughs> yes uh, I, I i once did an academic conference where um where i made that joke um i was talking about you know cultural representations about um you know about uh, around gender and race and i made the joke at the very beginning about how they were they were action figures, not dolls, because I'm a boy. And then I went on to deconstruct it. And at the end of it, some, um, one woman was like, "Well, you know, it's offensive to say you know to say that they're not dolls, you know, because you know there are girls in the audience." And I and it was like, I, "I know that that was the joke." Like, oh no, that, that's what the entire presentation was about. Was about the, this entirely culturally constructed different right. <laughs> difference. Yeah, but yes, I I'm aware that it's a doll. And by the way, I have Barbies now too. So, so it's like, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not judging. I'll, I'll say stuff like that, particularly on like, on, you know, on my shows, I'll say, I'll make jokes like that all the time. Um, but you said we're pseudo academic because um, I, I like to think that pop culture should be fun. You know, like, yeah. you know, if we're going to be discussing stuff like this, I mean, it's a superhero movie. It's ridiculous. Um, but if <laughs> yes. we're going to be discussing these like it's, you know, like it's Tolstoy, then, you know, let's enjoy it. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I started watching. Um, I mean, I've seen every superhero movie, my dissertation. Like you said, it's about representations of race and sexuality and well, sexuality and gender in my dissertation, especially. But um, my, most of my research goes into, you know, how is race constructed? How is gender constructed? How is sexuality constructed in popular culture? So um, especially with superhero stuff, because it's my great love. <laughs> I, um, you know, I've seen you know i watch every superhero movie so when iron man came out you know of course i was going to go see it because you know it's iron man like why would i not go see this and then at the very end of the movie you know because i'm that guy even before the marvel cinematic universe i i'm the guy, kind of guy who always sits through the credits not mm -hmm. because I'm necessarily expecting anything to happen, but just because, you know, those people worked hard. They deserve their recognition. And <laughs> so I sit there and I watch them yeah. and then like, you know, it fades and then it comes up and then there's the shadow of Samuel L. Jackson, who I recognize the, um, the, his silhouette because I'm that big a nerd. And then the entire story constructs in my head. It's like, oh my God, that's Samuel L. Jackson. And I know that the black version of Samuel L. Jackson, in the comics in the Marvel Ultimate Universe is, I mean, the black, black version of Nick Fury is based on Samuel L. Jackson. Right, right. Oh my God, Nick Fury's in this movie. Oh my God, something's about to happen. And then he's, you know, he's like, I'd like you to join the Avengers Initiative. I'm like, yay. Um, so, yeah, big nerd. Wow, what a moment. Yeah, that <laughs> must was, have felt so exciting. There. Yeah. 
so exciting for the, the first time. And then at that, and now that caused everyone to sit through the credits of every movie. So now it used to just be me in the theater by myself um, with my wife, like being irritated and wanting to leave. <laughs> and, and now everybody's there at the end of every movie. And, you know, you see people posting on like there, there'll be Marvel will announce on all the message boards. Look, Endgame has no post credit scene. You don't have to wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And then of course people didn't believe that. <laughs> right. So they stayed anyway, <laughs> but it's great. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I've seen all the films. I've seen all the Netflix series. I've watched every episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I watched Runaways. I watched Cloak and Dagger. Shout out to Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger did not get enough love. It was a good show. Um, I've never and, seen it. I've been know, meaning to watch it, though. Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's it, it's a young it's a YA young adult show. It's for free form. But I, I like it. that so, stuff, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, because I'm I said I was 46, but I'm a 12 year old girl. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the Barbie dolls. Absolutely. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Do you have like a top one or two MCU films? <laughs> I I am notoriously bad at top anything. Okay. Because I, y- yes, I do. And then like, you'll air that. You, I mean, we'll record this. You'll air it in four days. And then I'm going to be like, Oh God, why did I say those two? Okay, um, <laughs> but, um, but probably, I mean, in general of the films, Winter Soldier um, I uh, is probably my favorite as a standalone. Sure. Um, except when I, you know, if you ask me tomorrow, I might say Ragnarok and 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 you know, for, for different reasons. Sure. Um, and as far as like, so I, I have really weird, complicated academic reasons for this. But as far as a film, I think Winter Soldier and Ragnarok are the, are the best films. As far as an MCU experience, which is different than a film, it's mm-hmm. obviously Endgame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, um, right. Like, but Endgame is Endgame is a horrible movie. If I had to recommend things, if I were just rating a movie in and of itself as just a movie, Endgame is like a zero stars. It makes no sense. <laughs> like nothing about it is like it, it, it's right. all just Easter eggs and relevance. But you're not supposed to watch this as a film scholar. You're supposed to watch this as an MCU right. scholar. It, it didn't have to MCU make scholar. It it's didn't brilliant. have to make yeah. narrative sense. It didn't have to follow <laughs> storytelling conventions because it's, it was it was beyond that. that. And Infinity War is the same way. Like they never say they never say Captain America's name when he walks in. Like if you've never seen any other mo- movie, and then you get to Infinity War, and Steve Rogers like walks out of the shadows, and like you know, of course I'm cheering, but like as a as a fan of film who'd never seen anything else, you'd be like, who is that guy? And there's and there's no explanation, and you get to the end of the movie, and everybody dies, and you're like the end. And I just think about like this is if you're if you were watching this as a regular person who's not like into all these movies. Those two movies make no sense, you know, <laughs> and then like in game, it's like, oh, everybody's sad. And then Ant-Man just shows up and it's like, I've got a plan. And everybody's like, OK, <laughs> there's, yeah. no, there's no explanation for anything. So so I enjoy those. But um, but probably as films, Winter Soldier, which is great for this episode and yes. um, and and Ragnarok are, are, are definitely up there um, for MCU proper films. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree 100%. I, those are always among my my top, although I agree with you as well. On any given day, I might answer that question I'll differently. Change my mind. Um, yeah, tomorrow I'll be like, why didn't I say Iron Man? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as I said, I am a big admirer of, of your podcast, uh, Vox Thank Popcast. You. So I was hoping you could tell listeners a little bit more about the work that you do in that space and also in other spaces as well. 
<laughs> Can I do my radio announcer voice? Let me see. <clears throat> Vox Popcast is a pseudo-economic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me a Maverick. Oh, yeah, I'm actually on my show. Um, <laughs> um, that, that's how every show opens. Uh, Vox Popcast started because I, uh, one of my co-hosts, uh, Wayne, um, until recently worked at the comic book store that I shop at, and I've known him for 25 years. And then my other co-host, Katya, uh, she and I did our master's degrees together at Carnegie Mellon. So I noticed at one point that I have I was having some of the same basic pop culture conversations with Katya when we, we shared like an office when we were doing our master's in our office that I was having with Wayne at the comic book store. We're just, you know, just nerdy conversations, cool. sometimes related to comics or movies, and sometimes just about other cultural conversations. Wayne, while not technically an academic he's sort of a academic for fun so he does he does academic conferences and stuff um not as his job like mine but just because they're uh, he's a smart guy and and um and he does you know he, he'll teach sometimes and do, do an adjunct class here or there so we were having these similar conversations and then one day in the comic book store just a random person you know somebody somebody we knew is just like oh i just always love you know sending you in here and listening to you guys analyze it wasn't even a comic book movie you know we were probably talking about um you know just some random movie we'd say we'd say moonlight <laughs> i don't know i just made it up i don't remember what it was but we were probably talking about some movie he's like it's always great coming in here and listening to you guys do it you guys should do this as a podcast and he's like, what will we do and he was just like this just do this <laughs> yeah. so so that's, that's where vox popcast came from it was just um the 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 original concept was vox pop Vox Populorum is our mm -hmm. full name, but we never say that. We just say Vox Popcast. Um, pop, Vox Populi is a term people know. It means the voice of the peoples. So Vox Populorum would be Latin for voice or voice of the people is Vox Populi. Populorum would be voice of the peoples, plural. Mm -hmm. And my idea in my weird geeky brain sense was that we'd have um, every episode would be a combination of academics and just fans of whatever thing we were talking about cool because i go to these academic conferences like all the time and i you know and write papers and they're they're very snooty you go up and you you try to you try to make you know spider-man sound like tolstoy and then you um and then after that's over we all go just go and hang out at the bar and bs about stuff right and right and i realized those conversations at the bar those are far more interesting than you know the academic conference and that's where all the real work gets done so we decided why don't we just do this every week and we'll have a different topic every week. we didn't want to be just a comic book show mm -hmm. though i love comic book shows in fact i have another podcast that is just a comic book show but um but on on box podcast we we're like well what if we did comics some week and then some weeks we'll do movies um or and then we'll do tv shows and then we'll do books we'll do actual academic stuff so we got uh, we had another person another friend of mine hannah is an 18th century scholar um so you know we'll talk about jane austen one week and then we just kind of float around from topic to topic there's four hosts though rarely are all four of us ever actually on the show i'm probably on more of them than anybody else and you know and we'll always have um some combination of the four of us and then a couple of guests who have a special interest in that topic either they study it academically or you know if we're if we're talking about if we're talking about tv shows we did one show on on about um how in movies you have actors 
who are in their late twenties or early thirties yeah. playing high school students. So we had a couple of actors on who play high school students in movies and they're like 29, you know? So right. we'll talk, you know, we just talk about what that's like. Um, so we, you know, it's, it's, it's very much a, a very laid back. I always say with drinking and swearing, it's not actually that much swearing. It's just, <laughs> um, it made a good tagline. And, um, and then we named it Vox Popcast with a P instead of a D because I thought that was a funny joke. And then like not thinking about the fact that people need to be able to spell it in order to find it. So, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> but it's stuck. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. And I will say this. I recommended the 20 something teens or whatever, whatever you called that episode. 20, 20 something teen. Yes. 20 something teen was, yeah. I was recommended great. that to um, some high school students, actually, not my own class of students, but my friend's class of students. <laughs> I, I walked in on them having a conversation about why do these actors look so old, this and that. And I was like, you should listen to this podcast. And I uh, Watching, tell them to watch Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> oh my God! From the seventies, like yeah. these people are in their forties. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really enjoy your your show because it Thank does you. cover so many different areas of of culture. I really enjoyed the ergodic literature episode. Oh yeah, that was fun. That was that was Wayne's idea. That was that was interesting. I learned a lot there. So. Very very cool. I learned a lot listening to it, and I really appreciated that. And I I could go on with my appreciation, but I won't do that. Uh, we are here. <laughs> we are here to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And before we dive into this week's episode, I do want to hear some of your thoughts on the show in general so far. What have you liked about it? What has maybe surprised you about it? And so I on. am in awe of your ability to do a recap show every week, because <laughs> what I like about this most is unlike WandaVision, which I will nebulously say I might have liked WandaVision better just because I thought WandaVision was doing something super innovative mm. and different that I'd never seen before. So, so mm -hmm. that's what I really liked about WandaVision. Falcon and Winter Soldier is just a six hour movie. Yeah. And, um, and it's, um, it's a six hour movie and not in a bad way, not in a, um, cough cough snyder cut way um <laughs> which, which is just like long um it is paced well it is the blocks are logical and make sense but it's not um like what i like about it is i said i love the winter soldier movie where you meet well you meet falcon for the first time and then you um you you read you meet bucky as the winter soldier for the first time I like that film, but you don't really get a lot of time to like really delve into relationships. Uh, MCU films are about broad strokes. Like we right. talked about, um, they don't even bother to introduce characters sometimes in, <laughs> in the Avengers movies. You know, people just show up and I hope you recognize Ant-Man because we don't have time to tell you who he is. Um, and I love that this series takes the time to, you know, we'll talk about Isaiah Bradley today, but Isaiah Bradley shows up and you can really dig into the pathos of what he is about. You can really dig into this character. You can really see the relationship of Sam and Bucky progress beyond yeah. the fact that um, they're friends just cause, cause they kind of <laughs> sort of know the same guy. Um, you know, me and my friends always, it, we, we have, um, we have a head cannon sort of shipping belief that, uh, that, uh, Cap, Bucky, and Sam are all bisexual. So I believe that they were both just kind of dating the same guy and dating <laughs> away. So now they're like, oh, okay, I guess we'll, we'll hang out and see where this goes, which is a conversation they literally have on this episode without the dating stuff. But, you know, you can read the subtext. Um, <laughs> but they'll, say, they'll say stuff like that. Like, I really love that um, the most relationship that I'd gotten between 
Bucky and Falcon before was that scene in Civil War where um, Steve kisses his girlfriend niece agent 13 and (laughs) and then sam and sam and bucky just have that you know that mutual that's our boy you know nod Mm -hmm. and it lets you know that okay there's something between sam and 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 bucky that there's a there's a there's an understanding of who each other are but nothing else was explained and they you know they're minor characters in those films so you know they're not minor but they're you know they're not top billing sure so you don't get as much time to like really develop and see who they are the way you do in this it, you know same thing with like monica rambo would not have gotten the play that she got in wandavision if if we just introduced her in captain marvel 2 absolutely so instead we get these deep dives and we really really get to see like i don't know what's going on with sharon but i'm fascinated throughout this series um like i'm fascinated by zemo zemo is a character that i care about you know people hate john walker not because but they don't just hate him because he's a bad guy they hate him because the the show wants you to hate him it wants you to understand him same yeah. thing with carly it wants you to understand these characters and i love being able to like do that deep dive because you know yeah having one fight per episode you know okay i guess that's fine you know as much as i love to see explosions and big fights and martial arts stuff it's really you know having the time to breathe has made this excellent and i'm i'm very much enjoying i i almost wish uh, for Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think it could have used one or two more. It doesn't need to have 13 like the Netflix shows did, but um, probably eight would have been better mm. um, just because I want there's there's more stuff. I want to see I want an episode just devoted to seeing, you know, young Isaiah Bradley doing his mission rather than just talking about it. And I yeah, and I really want to see, you know, more of what more of Zemo's plans rather than broad strokes. So it, so it's been really nice getting what we have because I don't want to complain about it because it's still more than, you know, I learned more about Zemo in these six episodes than I did in the movie where he was the main villain. Absolutely. When episode one of, of this show came out and it had that sense of space, it, it felt like it was taking its time with the characters. I was so happy to see that. And I think that it works on so many different levels for establishing the future of the MCU, for really making us have these connections with these characters in particular, like you're saying, whether it's uh, love or hate (laughs) or something in between. And I do think that it very much feels like a movie broken up because there have been some episodes that really hit the gas pedal on some more action and some more forward momentum. And then episodes like this one, episode five, which slowed down again and took that Mm -hmm. time to be a little bit more interior. And I know that that hasn't necessarily been working for everyone because it can have a little bit of that uh, whiplash of pacing kind of feel one episode to the next. But Mm -hmm. when you consider each of these to be installments in this larger piece, I I think that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to feel like a very cohesive piece when this is done. And I am really looking forward to the finale, but we are here today mm-hmm. to dig into episode five called Truth. So why don't we just start kind of broad thoughts, initial reactions. What did you think of this episode overall? I loved it um, because the standout for me for the show has been Isaiah. And when we got him, was it episode three when we saw him the first time or two? Uh, I think it was episode two. Episode two, yeah. The first time we saw him. And um, I didn't get enough of him. 
I was like, oh my God, it's Isaiah Bradley. This is so exciting. As I said before, it's, um, I, I, you know, and I thought that was going to be it. I, you know, um, I read the graphic novel. I was telling everybody, go out and read this. It's excellent. And, um, and I was afraid we weren't going to come back to him because I knew they were going to do this globe trotting thing. So I was really happy just seeing, you know, turning on Disney plus and seeing the episodes called truth. And I'm like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> so it was exciting mm-hmm. for me. And, um, I, um, this is a, this is a weird counter to um, what I think some people want. And I think people are like sort of cooling down on it because they're doing a good job of explaining this on the show. But before the series ever started, um, I saw a lot of pushback, some amongst some friends of mine, but also just think pieces on the internet of this is stupid. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't Sam just be Captain America now? Mm. This is dumb. This is dumb. This is dumb. Um, And it sort of echoed, there's a point in the in the comics going back several years where uh where captain america got old and retired for a bit and they made sam into the new captain america and you had you had the regular sort of racist kind of fanboy thing of no captain america can't be a black man it's white Mm -hmm. and and i was in this weird awkward position where I I ended up writing this blog originally originally a blog and then later um, an academic um, presentation that I did at um, NEMLA it's a um, it's an academic conference that your listeners don't care about but that wasn't important to me um, <laughs> no that's okay um, I'm intrigued yeah yeah and I did a, I so I did this presentation all about essentially why I as a black man and lifelong comic book fan who very much wants comics to not be inherently racist, systemically racist. And as a scholar who studies this, I don't want Sam to be Captain America. Um, And my reasoning was, I think I told you at the beginning, um, Sam was my favorite, Falcon was my favorite comic book character when I was seven. That was in 1981. So since 1981, he's been my favorite Falcon uh, character, Falcon. You know, Sam, um, Sam Wilson is Falcon and he is awesome. And he was never, he wasn't Bucky. He wasn't Captain America's sidekick. He was his partner. He was his equal. And I did not like that the story became in the comics. We're going to take this away. You know, Captain America is, is retiring. So now you get to graduate. For one thing, I knew it was obviously going to be temporary because I knew that they'd have to reset the status quo because I read comics and I know how they work. (laughs) Um, But, um, but also I just, I I always felt that taking that away erases the legacy of the Falcon, you know, because to me being Captain America, yeah. Can Captain America be a black guy? Sure. I have no problem. Captain America being a black guy. I love Isaiah Bradley. Um, But I don't like there not being a Falcon. I don't like the insinuation that being Captain America is more important than being Falcon. Sam has his own identity, at least in the comics. So when I watched this episode and I and I saw it's like you know why it why does a black man have to carry a white man's shield is something that I said during my presentation. Mm-hmm. And then Isaiah just says that on this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, thank you. And um I mean, I make no delusions, obviously, you know, more people watch the show than listen to my show. Right. So like, (laughs) I know that, you know, so I'm, I I love that they were explaining that. And I love that Bucky gets it. 
Like yeah. he, you know, there's a point in the show where they have their deep conversation and he says, look, you know, before Steve got, gave you the shield, he talked to me about it and neither of us understood what it would mean to a black man to just expect you to do this. And, um, you know, I mean, they didn't get Chris Evans back apparently. So, you know, so Bucky basically just says, I'm sorry, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, we didn't take your lived history into account and I thought that was important, which makes this the best episode of the series. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of really snazzy fights in the end. But for me, this was important to actually make the, you know, make the understanding that Sam's life is important beyond just being backup Steve. And that that matters to me. I am more okay with Sam Wilson of the MCU being Captain America than I am with Sam Wilson of the comics because Sam Wilson of the MCU doesn't have a 40-year back back history for me to look back on. He's got a history of like six movies where he was Captain America's sidekick. Um, So like there I'm okay. There I can see him graduating as long as he earns it and long as it doesn't diminish what he was before. And I feel like this show is doing a very good job of making that organic in a way that the end of Endgame, where he just hands him the shield and says, all right, you're capped now. Go enjoy yourself, kid. Like, I feel like this does a better job of fleshing that out and making it real in a way that, you know, I certainly don't think, you know, I'm not delusional enough to think that a, you know, a TV series can give anybody the entire Black experience you know (laughs) but according to zemo trouble man can go listen to trouble man (laughs) (laughs) which um he's not wrong wonderful album (laughs) but but, um but like um i i like i do like that the show i i've listened to people um white friends of mine who've said oh my god i get it who said i see what you were trying to say in that blog that you wrote like six years ago wow I, i I get, you know, you know, they understood it when I said it, but to see it not just being my reading, to see that there is an understanding of of the complicated history of what blackness means for identity, which, you know, people are sort of the current woke thing to do is is to understand that people know that that you're not supposed to say that. I don't see color anymore. Mm. You're not supposed to say it, but I don't think another a lot of people know why you're not supposed to say it. They just know that you're not supposed to say it. So <laughs> there was an understanding on this episode that you, the reason I don't want you to say you don't see color is because color matters. Color yes. matters to Isaiah. That shield is tainted to Isaiah, not because John just used it to decapitate somebody. That shield is tainted to Isaiah because Isaiah has spent 50 years, you know, running from that shield. And so that matters in a way that I think was really not very clear in the MCU before. The MCU, the prior films have done a really good job of pretending racism just didn't exist. You know, nobody notices that that Falcon is black. No one cares. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Like no Avenger has a problem with them. And then from this and this show has had, oh, look. You know, he's an Avenger, but he can't get a bank loan. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get that. You know, mm-hmm. that that makes sense to me. So so I've felt like the show has done that. And I felt this episode in specific, you know, we don't need to fight. We're just going to have two black men sit down and have this conversation. And you, audience m- member, you're going to listen and try to understand. Yes, absolutely. And I, I had that in my notes, too, that one of the big takeaways from this episode is just how powerful it is to 
have people sit down and talk sometimes in, in these types of shows and specifically noticing that they gave that time to have Sam sit down with an older, experienced black man who could look at him and say, you understand, every black man understands. And for us to watch that and um, to think about how infrequently we get those types of interactions was just one of the many powerful things in this episode. And I think you're touching on so much as well to have a character like Bucky, a white character, right? In, in, relationship to this black character sam to be able to recognize his blind spots and to say a white character born in like 1902 yes <laughs> besides and and steve as yeah. well right um, whatever yeah. and to just say say i owe you an apology i'm sorry and that was so powerful to think of the way that uh this character is is modeling uh, appropriate ways to to handle these situations in which a person may not recognize their their blind spots when it comes and not to not run something. or justify it. I mean, he did earlier, yes. which was great because in the first time he's like, "How how dare you give away that shield?" Which was an organic response for Bucky it was. because Bucky's only thinking about what the shield means to him. And then here he said, "You know, that shield is the closest thing to family I have left, so I wasn't thinking about you." And to not justify it that way, he just said, "I'm sorry. You know, I yeah. I was wrong. Steve was wrong. Captain America was wrong." Um, and I, I love that acknowledgement that we get from from Bucky. I, I saw a lot of people who who thought that um, they're like, give Sebastian Stan an Emmy for his crying episode. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I liked that episode, the Bucky centric episode where where he got gets cured. But I actually thought this was better acting. It was more subtle. You know, it's yeah. like, yes, he can cry on command. I mean, he. I, I get that people only watch MCU films, but he is an accomplished actor. He's very good at what he does. So yes. yes, he knows how to cry. <laughs> yeah, that moment was uh, among many in this episode that did feel incredibly moving. And one of the other things that I reflected on after this episode was the difference in how I felt at the end of this one as opposed to the end of episode four. Because end of episode four, and I, I spoke about this a little bit in my previous podcast episode, but I, you know, having this real kind of visceral, uncomfortable, disgusted, sad reaction uh, to the image of John Walker holding the bloodied shield, and you know that of course means it was good television <laughs> if, it, if it got that powerful feeling out of me. But at the end of this episode, I felt hopeful. That image of Sam opening the case from Wakanda, uh, which mm -hmm. kind of parallels the image of him. Uh, looking down in his suit, like looking down at the shield on the bed from episode one. And I think it was um, just to end the episode then on that note, uh, to think about the scene during the training montage, which I loved. Um, could, have been, the, could have been 20 minutes longer <laughs> and in slow motion. I want him running through the snow like Rocky. I, I yeah, totally, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Um, but within that montage, you know, his nephew kind of just tracing the star on the shield, you know, the, that imagery it was incredibly powerful and, like I said, kind of contributed to this episode ending on more of an optimistic note, even mm -hmm. though it also dealt with some heavy history with Isaiah, which I'm sure we'll dig a little bit more into. I mean, his, his nephews call him Uncle Sam, which yes. is so adorable. And I'm like, of course he's Uncle Sam, but like it's foreshadowing. And yeah. yes, and it's like, yeah, okay. he is to him, to them. He is Captain America. There is when Bucky wakes up and he sees the kids playing with the shield. There's such great acting for the little kids. I mean, they're kids enjoying themselves playing with the shield. But um, <laughs> but also like 
there's hope there, you yeah. know? Um, and I think that plays very well next to having Isaiah just tell you, you know, this shield is tainted. Why would any black man want this? This is, you know, and then for these little kids who don't have that lived history, that's where Bucky realizes, even if Sam hasn't quite got, gotten there yet, Bucky realizes, wait, okay, maybe there can be a, a hopefulness to this. Maybe there, maybe there is redeeming the symbol. Um, yeah. Sam's job doesn't need to be continuing Steve's legacy. Sam's, Sam's job can be creating his own legacy. And yes. I thought that that was, I thought that was just poignant and hopeful and the real power of this series. Now, in previous episodes of the podcast, I've spent some time talking about some of the concepts that have been emerging here. And, and there are many, and I've talked about legacy and heroism and power and how those are contributing to thematic statements the show is making. Episode five is really the episode that makes a lot of what had been these underlying themes explicit and, and confronts them head on. So as, I, as I've been saying, in episode five of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, there, well, there were ideas about all of these things and there was an idea about truth, of course, the title, of the episode truth and Mav, i know that you have uh, a big attachment to the yeah. comic of the same name so will you tell us a little bit more about the about the comic story and how it may be similar or different to what we see in this episode the comic story is confusing um and it's it's interesting i've seen people sort of talking about it and arguing a little bit online so a little backstory for um for the comic the comic is, it's, the full name is Truth, Red, White, and Black. Uh, it's written by Robert Morales, and it was published in 2003. So it goes back a little bit. It's seven issues, and it's a, it's a, it was supposed to be six originally. And, they, it, and the story ended up being bigger than it needed to be, so they, they added a bonus issue to it. But when it starts, it's clearly not in the same Marvel Universe. And then it was... It was well received enough that in the middle of the series they they rolled it in and revised it and that causes some confusion but the concept at the very beginning is the united states government wants to create the super soldier serum they think they have it right or they think they have it close and they decide well <laughs> quite horribly we can't just go injecting this into a white soldier. So let's find a bunch of black guys to test this on, which sounds awful and sounds horrible and sounds like, oh my God, this is just some horrible science fiction thing until you realize this is something yeah. that the United States government actually did during World War II in what's called the Tuskegee experiments. Right. They, um, they injected a bunch of Tuskegee airmen with syphilis basically to find out what would happen. Um, and, and it was, it's it's a horrific, awful part of our history that I don't know. I don't know how many white people know this. I don't remember ever learning this in um, in high school or or junior high and history books. I'm old. Maybe history books are better now than they were when I was a kid. But I knew this because my grandfather's a World War II vet and had the same kinds of mistrust of the government and military that Isaiah has in the series. So, yeah. you know, watching Isaiah talk was like listening to my grandfather. Um, in the comic, they, you know, they, they inject a hundred soldiers. Only um, six of them live from, through the, through the, um, through the process. And then those six um, 
in much the same way as Isaiah says in this in this series, um, they die. But it's in World War II, and when it starts, it's all before there is a Steve Rogers, before they've done this. Okay. Halfway through the series, they sort of adjust it, and they change it so that they're trying to replicate the serum, and Steve Rogers does exist. So the... You know, the storyline doesn't totally make sense when you notice it. I mean, if you read it, you'll notice the shift of, oh, they're adjusting this because it's very clear at the beginning that Steve Rogers is not a thing. And then halfway through, it's very clear that he is a thing. But then throughout the story, you find out that Isaiah is this um, much like on the show where and they, they they moved him up to Korea on the show. But he was it was originally World War Two. And you find out that. um when he goes off on this mission to save men who were left behind, he, you know, he disobeys orders. He ends up in jail. And the way the U.S. government treats Isaiah is very, very different than the way the U.S. government treats Steve Rogers. And this story is about Steve learning this for the first time and learning what Isaiah, you know, what happened to Isaiah and why hasn't anybody heard of him. And then throughout the course of the story, you find out, a lot of people have heard of Isaiah Bradley, just not Steve Rogers. Um, it turns out that Isaiah is sort of a legend in the black superhero community. Interesting. Um, and and you end up seeing stuff like you end up seeing they when 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 Steve finds out that Isaiah is still alive um, and he's an old man dealing with um, dealing with issues of you know some encroaching dementia from just being old and also the way that the super soldier serum interacted with his brain. Um, because he doesn't have vita rays and you know weird comic book logic, but he's not had as easy a life as Cap. So he goes there, and you end up finding um, Isaiah has like his memories um, on the wall, and you see he has pictures with black leaders like um, MLK, um, Muhammad Ali, and he is the civil rights figure in the Marvel universe cool. that the greater Marvel universe has just completely forgotten about because of the inherent racism that Steve doesn't know he has. And that's where Steve learns that there is a black experience that he's unaware of. And that's the, that's the moral of the story. Um, and then it ends with just Isaiah being old. He's just an old guy and, and Cap knows about him now. And that's, um, it's not a happy story, but it is a very, let's fill in, you know, if you look at these old comics from the 40s and 50s, there aren't really a lot of black superheroes around right. or, or Hispanic or Asian. You know, it's, it's mostly a bunch of white guys. And then the idea behind truth is, you know, there's, a, there's more of a narrative that we just ignored. So let's go back and look at it and let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. Let's talk about what some of the problems are. And it's brilliant because of that. So it was adapted into this into this relatively faithfully, you know, they, they moved mm-hmm. more. They didn't want to get rid of cap being the first, which is what, what they did in the comics as well. They, you know, they, if they were going to have Isaiah in the, in the um, Marvel universe prime, they didn't want him to, you know, supplant captain America. So they made some adjustments, but I was okay with those. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just liked seeing him and I liked that they told this story. So strong recommendation, everybody go out and read truth, understand that there are some things that are a little weird in it. <laughs> <laughs> that are just, you know, editorially mandated. Well, that's par for the course with comic books, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, thank you for for sharing that. It does sound like there there are some changes in the adaptation, like there usually is when it comes mm-hmm. to the MCU. But I am very glad that they kept the sense of forgotten history, erased 
history. Um, mm-hmm. Isaiah says they were worried my story might get out, so they erased me, my history, but they've been doing that for 500 years. And I really appreciated as well this whole scene of Sam and Isaiah having that conversation because Isaiah says very clearly, explicitly, some of the things that it seemed like he was hinting at in episode two. And the fact that Mm -hmm. they came back and had just Sam this time without Bucky there sit down with Isaiah at night, right? And then they they move from outside the house in the garden to inside the house. It's very intimate, uh, sharing the pictures and the photos. It just felt so... I think I'm overusing the word powerful in this episode, mm-hmm. um, but it, it felt so respectful to this story that was told in the comic. It felt very respectful to the real world analogs uh, that exist for these types of experiences and stories. And Isaiah even mentions the, the red tails in mm-hmm. his talk with Sam. So who are real. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I guess we should say for, for listeners who, who aren't who aren't sure, um, the Tuskegee Airmen, and, mm-hmm. and and referencing you know actions of the KKK and Sam saying he's from the South. So it's really I like that they didn't parse words here. As you said in previous installments of the MCU, there was not an acknowledgement of race at all. I mean, there was Black Panther. Even in Black Panther, even right. in Black Panther. I mean, there is, but you know, there's. Black Panther acknowledges mostly through Killmonger that there's racism in the world. Right. But you spend so much time in Wakanda that you don't really see it. Right. You know, you just have to take Killmonger's words for it. <laughs> right. And, and, and he's know, the villain in that know, piece. We live in the world. Yeah. <laughs> we live in the world. We know there's racism, but mostly, you know, you know, it's like there's racism in the world. So let's hang out in Wakanda where everything's just kind of awesome. You know, it's yes. kind of it's kind of what that film does. Yes. Well, what's interesting, too, I, I'm curious to hear your take on this, is, you know, Bucky calling in this favor with the Dora Milaje and then arriving in Louisiana with this briefcase of sorts uh, for Sam. And, you know, we're assuming here Wakandan tech for Sam's Captain America suit is is what I'm assuming, at least. I've also heard. That's what I would assume. Yeah, I've also heard speculation of about a you know, new set of wings, maybe both. Well, in the comic, in the comics. Sam's Captain America suit has wings. It's what okay. it's what differentiates him from St- from Steve. So I assume it's going to be a version of. I mean, I, I I've got friends who are like, oh, they could have shown it to us. I'm like, it's you know, it's six days. You can wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you you can wait a week. You know, it's uh, we're, we're building here, and and I enjoy that. I assume it's going to be probably pretty similar to his comic Captain America cool. um, outfit, which is very much um, mm-hmm. an integration of the Falcon identity and the Captain America identity. You know, he, um, uh, Sam's outfit had his hair showing. Uh, Sam's outfit had the wings. Um, the stars and stripes on his chest had kind of a, the star becomes kind of an integrated with wings motif. So he doesn't really sacrifice his own identity in order to become, uh, in order to become Captain America. He calls himself that. Captain America, but he keeps enough callbacks. Yeah. Um, a little note, um, when Sam first appears in the comics in the 1970s, maybe like the 60s, I don't remember the date off the top of my head. I want to say it's early 70s. Um, Sam doesn't really fly 
or have wings at all. He's an acrobat. He's just a guy in a suit who hangs out with Captain America. And, you know, he has kind of a grappling hook and he swings around from rooftops. Um, <laughs> he gets his first wings in the comics from the Wakandans. So that was a oh. that was a that was a callback that um, I assume is just a little Easter egg for, you know, it doesn't really affect the story, but it's just like, oh, you know, just so you know, this is a thing that has happened before. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so I assume they're going to give him a version of his of his comic book cap. So that sounds awesome, and I'm I'm excited to see that. And I love that idea of of it, his new identity being entirely his, right? Something that is honoring both uh, who he's been, where he's coming from, and the symbol and the, of the shield and of Captain America evolving, and and him growing into this new identity. I love that. I also I also love that they didn't show it this episode because it was mm-hmm. Echoes of WandaVision where you get a hint of what the costume is going to be in episode eight, just as a tiny hint of it. <laughs> and then episode nine, we're going to see the costume. And I love that. Um, but you know what's interesting? So you mentioned in the comics that he got his wings from Wakanda. I was about to ask you if you think the Wakandans giving him this suit, we're assuming, is in part their acknowledgement of of what T'Challa and the others maybe did take away from Killmonger, which was that like, hey, you have this pile of wealth that you're sitting on and maybe you should share it with our brothers and sisters around the world who look like us I and who are suffering. I that, but I think that's a really, I think that's a really good reading. I mean, you're right. That's, that is, uh, we, we haven't seen any of it because the Wakandans have done nothing I mean, Black Panther ends and then everybody gets disintegrated, right? right. So that's um, uh, <laughs> like in the next movie. So we've not seen them actually do the share of the wealth, but that is what Shuri and T'Challa say they're going to do at the at the end of that movie is that we're, we're going to open it up and we're going to share some of this. So yeah, I think that's a good reading of it. I hadn't considered it. I like that. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. I, and I don't know when or where that would become you know textual or if that's going to kind of remain in a headcanon space. But I, I kind of like that idea that uh, you know i think i think we see in the black panther movie that even though uh killmonger is obvi- as obviously our our villain in that film that some of the things that he says mm-hmm. do resonate with you know with the heroes there um well, it's weird because there's been a there's a lot of talk just people always claim well, dc has better villains marvel has no you know, you know i like marvel villains a lot because what what the mcu villains have always done well um is that there's always not always i shouldn't say always because you know there's some people who are just evil but in most of the mcu films there is motivation for the villains to where you see and this is true of, of carly here you know yeah she's got a legitimate point yes. <laughs> yeah she she very much is like no she she's not wrong yeah i mean you know killing a whole bunch of people and blowing up you know orphanages and stuff you know not great but like her actual motivation I see where she's coming from. And just in case you're wondering, Sam tells you, no, I agree with you. Yeah. So like that matters. And I think that um I think that people had a little bit of trouble coming to grips with that in the Killmonger space because um because Michael B. Jordan's a phenomenal actor and he was very good at sort of um at sort of giving you the message of no, this is a bad guy. This is an evil evil horrible guy the yeah. fact that he is morally correct is and i don't want to say it's an accident but it's irrelevant you know he is doing deplorable actions here and um i what you know to me the, the moral of that story is 
okay, we defeated him, but now we've got to do the right thing because yeah. you know, he had a valid point. And I think that gets lost some, sometimes. Um, I think that one of the reasons people, whether they realize it or not, one of the reasons they hate John Walker so much is, you know, John shows up just basically saying, hi, I'm your new daddy, you know, like, <laughs> you know, yes. like that's, and it's bad, but everything about John's character, John is also not wrong. Um, I loved him in this episode where he gives his speech, where he just basically lets it all hang out to, um, to the, um, to his court martial. And he basically says, I did everything that you asked me to. Yeah. And now you're throwing, he gives a Vietnam war vet speech. Yes. Um, yes. Very much to, you know, the Congress or whoever he's standing before the, uh, and, um, and Isaiah doesn't even get to give that speech, right? Isaiah gives, you know, the bitter veteran who's forgotten about speech, but they're not incorrect in, you know, in their assessment because they did just find this guy who had the right look and they dumped him out there and they forced him, you know, he wasn't ready and they just kind of put him in impossible situations where they built him into a killer. Yeah. This is this is the story of many, you know, um, it's the story of first blood um, for if your listeners have not seen first blood, I don't know how many people have actually seen first blood first blood. Everybody thinks of as a Rambo movie. It is, it is very different than the other Rambo movies. One person dies in first blood and it's an accident. First blood huh. the movie is not a Rambo movie. First. I mean, first blood is the movie is a story of, a man who is a war vet who has come away from Vietnam being a broken person and not knowing what to do of his life. And he's scared. It's a deep, insightful movie about PTSD. And then the rest of the movies are about a killing machine. But yeah. that first movie <laughs> is just is actually really, really good and really, really poignant. And um, and John's speech comes right out of that. It, you know, it's just like you, you, you turn me into a killer. And then you got mad when I killed people, you know, yes. what do you want me to do? Like that's, I, I liked what was going on there. And, and, and I think what's great about films like this or TV shows like this is um, in much the same way as I was saying, I think Isaiah and Sam are trying to give white people an understanding of sort of a black experience, you know, um, with it, with this sort of mythology. Um, I'm not a soldier. You know, I, I mm -hmm. you know, I had an opportunity to go into the military when I was 18 and I said, no, I don't think I want to do that. I'm going to go, you know, be an artist and writer instead. Um, and um, like, I don't really know what it's like to go to war, but I know people who do. And this gives me hopefully so, sort of some semblance of understanding of why someone might be bitter when it's taken away. Why do people break the way that John has? And um, the first I mean. I decided I love this character on the second episode where he's talking to his wife about going out. Um, you know, they're like, she's like, we're going to go out there and give your interview. And he's scared out of his mind yes. because of course he is. And I, I, I love that the show is doing that. And I, and I saw so many parallels on this episode to that, to him going back and saying him, this is just him finally having had enough. I cannot, you know, I'm not going to sit here and justify what I did anymore. I was right. You sent me out there to stop terrorists and I only know one way to stop terrorists and they killed my best friend and that's what I did. 
and you know and he wants to be thanked for it he wants to be jack nicholson for from a few good men and that's <laughs> and that's what he was and yes we can hate him because you know he did just decapitate a man with cap shield on national television i i get that but um i felt like i understood him in a very well, real way as a human a human who made a you know a human who is not me but i understood him as a human as opposed to as a twirly mustache yes villain. yes absolutely and i agree with you as well that i appreciate at least in in recent years in the mcu that we don't get these mustache twirling villains we get a, we we do get real people with real struggles uh adrian tombs a vulture in homecoming is another great example i think yes and yeah. Yeah. who really Very sticks good. with you and you know, you even have, uh, I had my guests on for the Thor Ragnarok uh, episode that I did. We were even talking about Hela and they were like, listen, like she got more ambitious than the person who taught her. And that's when, you know, he decided to exile her. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not by any means a direct analog here. But when John Walker is saying, uh, you built me, you know, I did what you asked me to do and I did it well, right? It, it's mm-hmm. It's got to be some of that sense of what, so I did my job too well and now the same people who were encouraging me to do this are going to throw me out i thought this episode was going to be very i mean i love how this episode turned out but at the end of episode four um i was just like watching people talk about it's like oh well you know there's no putting the cat back in the bag um now um I'm not the writer of the series, but I actually would have gone a different way. I would have had the United States government trying to put the cat back in the bag Mm. because we were like, well, he just killed a man on national television. I'm like, we're watching a trial right now about a man who killed a man on national television. Yeah. Like like you can do like, I absolutely would have, you know, yeah, he killed a man on national television. And I would have, um, and I would have said, if I were the United States government, I would have said, you know, we want to thank Captain America for saving all these people and and making the difficult choice to kill this armed terrorist. And my friend of mine said, was he even armed? And I said, you know, in my press release, he was, you know, of course he was, (laughs) you know, so like I am amazed that's not the way they went because I would expect them to like sort of, you know, yeah, back him, you know, like, why would you admit wrongdoing here? So um, I'm glad you brought that up because I was wondering about that too. I was much, I was expecting much more of at least a mixed reaction to his actions from last episode i thought that there might be some sense of you know the the because they showed all of those people with the cell phones i was wondering okay are we going to get some sense of what you know what the internet is saying about john Mm -hmm. walker and are there going to be people who are fighting for him and advocating for him and sticking up for him i i too didn't think it would be so clear-cut where you have the senators sitting there saying you're out my man that you're done i wasn't expecting that at all this show has been pretty clean cut about stuff. Like, I, I wasn't at all. And I, and they've been very good about being clean cut about things that I think were more, that would be more complicated in real life. Yeah, um, so I'm true. thinking back to episode two, when they announced John as the first time and everybody, you know, they have this stadium full of people cheering and I'm like, this is, this is, well, 2021, I was going to say, but for them, it's like 2024 um, or 2023 or whatever. If you really announced that there was a new Captain America on national television and you had a stadium, you know, in the Internet age, there'd just be a there. Yes, you'd have people cheering, but you'd have a very vocal section in the crowd going, boo, boo, you're not exactly. the real guy. <laughs> you know, yes. And I really kind of was like there hasn't up until he murdered a guy. 
he hasn't really faced any of that. Everybody's just been pretty, pretty chill with, you know, asking oh, for his autograph and, and stuff. Like, right. And I'm just like, you know, have you never been to a sports event? Have you never seen a recasting of any beloved character on, <laughs> you know, on any television series? The internet has people who suck <laughs> and, and there should be some of that, but, uh, but it's, it's avoided that. And it's tried to put all of our, our mystery into the, you know, the espionage intrigue, you know, you know, who is Sharon? Is she the power broker? Mm-hmm. Is she not in, in, I hope, by the way, I hope she's not um, just cause I think that would be boring. Um, <laughs> but like it's, it's doing, and it's fiction. I get that. And I think it's, I think it's making some choices and it wants to talk about a complicated subject matter. It wants to, you yes. know, we live in a world in 2021 where some people, I legitimately argue with people every day who think that racism doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and hasn't since like the 1950s when, you know, 50s and 60s when presumably Martin Luther King waved a magic wand and racism went away, you know, <laughs> conveniently forgetting that then he got shot in the head. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like there's a, and I have these arguments literally every day. So I think that this, this allegory needs to just be, it's or I don't know if it needs to, it's made the decision to just say, look, we are going to very simply break this down for you in nice black and white terms where a young black man and an old black man have a conversation and tell you that racism is real. (laughs) Even in our fictional world, racism is real so that you don't have to read between the lines like you do when, you know, you listen to Trouble Man. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. Well, and I I think uh, another scene just came to my mind as well. Of course, the scene between Sam and Isaiah being so powerful. And like I said before, something that, you know, we don't tend to see frequently enough in in mainstream media, you know, just a a couple of of black men talking about what that means for them, especially Mm -hmm. intergenerational. Oh, my gosh, I can't say intergenerationally (laughs) right now. Um, Then we also see Sam sitting with his sister. And when they have the conversation, who's amazing, and they have the conversation about the boat. The of the series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she really is. You know, feeding the neighborhood kids, amazing. And she, and such a good actress too. So, you know, he he's going to paint over their parents' names on the boat. And, and that's, you know, when she's like, no, no, we can't. And when they have the conversation, you know, he says, we have to preserve this. This is our history. We can't lose this fight. You know, it sounds like they're talking just as much about their micro history of their mm-hmm. parents' boat as they are talking about the larger struggle of the the forgotten history of Black Americans. And and, and mm-hmm. he even says our struggles as a people. I used to think about it and say I'm going to go out and show them and change the world. And I think it's just it just hit home to me how rare it is to kind of to see these types of conversations like i said in mainstream action blockbuster superhero type movies you know maybe you could argue it's rare to see more introspective personal conversations in that genre at all but the Mm -hmm. mcu has always given us those personal quiet moments you know sprinkled in here and there which has which at least for me has set the MCU apart from other superhero stories. Um, But just the power of, of these two people, you know, who the context that they're in, the fact that they are black is being addressed explicitly. They are addressing it with each other and, and the specifics of their family situation in their community in Louisiana is being addressed. And I think it, it just, again, to me felt so important that this show is, taking that step to, you know, I'm saying confront 
yes, confront these issues head on, but also to, you know, really show what it means for these characters, these people to be doing both, right? Like she says to him, there's a fight out there and there's our fight here. You're you're taking them both on. Well, he says on this episode when he comes back, she's like, why, are, why aren't you out here saving the world? And he basically says, you know, it's my family. You yes. are the world. You know, and I think that there is a personal story. Maybe one of the things that people didn't like about it when you, you talk about people having sort of the whiplash of going from grand fight scene, which the only fight scene in this is the very, you know, the very first scene. They have right. their battle at the beginning. And then after that, it's just all this character stuff. Um, but I feel like that character stuff's important because it's telling you in real life you're not going to really go out and fight john walker but you are going to fight you are going to have conflicts and i think that i think that sarah's story throughout this is important i think not just the you know is she going to lose her her business and her boat and her family you know um security because that's important and that's the racial construct that is, is you know there's certainly a struggle but she's struggling as a single mom yeah and um one of the things that you know I, they I, and i get why they don't want to overplay this because it's a hard conversation but in in their world you know she's a divorced woman or what i don't know if they say she's divorced or what she's she's divorced because she's using her original name um and mm. she's she changed her name back so she's a divorced woman raising two kids on her own and her support system is her brother and yeah maybe it was no fault of his own but he disappeared for five years and you know, he just vanished yeah. and um and she tells him that she you know which which i thought was great she tells him you know you weren't here you know life went on and i did the best i could um and i i love that it's it's not it's not sugarcoating this. I, one of the problems I had with the um, with the first um, the first Avengers movie um, or the aftermath of the first Avengers movie is that unlike the comics where Galactus attacks every week, you know, in the world of the Avengers, as far as we know, this was the day that in the world of the MCU, as far as we know, this was the day that everybody learned that aliens were real. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and and like you know, New York City was nearly destroyed by flying space aliens this should be the only thing that anybody talks about for a decade it's 2021 september 11th was 20 years ago and it still comes up yeah. pretty frequently in True. real life so it should have been important and um and it wasn't that important it's like mentioned here and there on the netflix series but like for the most part everybody just sort of gets past it and they're just like sort of okay it's sort of it, it, it uses godzilla logic godzilla destroys tokyo every other year and you know everybody's just kind of you know just a it's just a thing that happens and no one cares um and they're not they seem to have made the decision to not do that with the blip you know in yes. in, in spider-man far from home we know that there are ramifications of that. WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier have both made very clear that the world was changed when this happened and we're just going to have to deal with it, you know, and, and some stuff is just little silly things like the, the one character in Far From Home who says, you know, he used to be my younger brother. Now he's my older brother. That's weird. But other things are just like Monica missed her yeah. mom's death which is so hard. And Sam missed his nephews growing up and he was unable to help his sister. And he knows it's not his fault, 
but they're still guilt with that. You know, it's, it's a it's a prisoner of war thing, right? Like, you know, people come back from from being in a war and they've missed their family life. And I I I love that the series is, you know, it's not exactly the same as like going to war, but it is still a thing that people have to deal with in real life. And I love that it is taking it seriously and taking its time with it. And sort of you know sarah represents that in this show she's like look i didn't go away i life went on i missed you but life went on and i had i had to raise kids yeah yeah i think that's really powerful insight into her story and how she functions as that perspective in this in this series and in the mcu at large and to your point i think that it's been so so cool and satisfying to see the ways in which you know, the MCU has not uh, fallen into Endgame was such a climax, you know, Endgame was it. What are we going to do now? What stories are left to tell? And, and there is so much story to tell, because if you really think about the impact that the blip and the undoing of the blip would have, there is so much <laughs> to dig into there. And I love that so far, these two series are approaching it um, in different ways, but also in ways that uh, ring true for the the world building that it's doing and it's been it, you brought this up earlier too with you know okay end game old man steve gives sam this shield okay <laughs> he gave him the shield if they'd gone in a direction you know however many years later new avengers movie and now sam is running around with the with the shield you know that would have been such a missed opportunity to really dig into what that would mean and but it's what i expected it's yeah I mean, and it would have i mean it would i mean i wouldn't in that alternate universe, I don't know that I have the option to have seen this series, so yeah. I probably would have been fine yeah. with it. But I, this, this is the fact that they're taking the time with this is is great. I mean, I mean, and it's making me, if anything, WandaVision and this have had me, you know, revisiting the other kinds of thought experiments to name what my episode That's this right. week is yeah. <laughs> of of. You know, I'm starting to think about you know thought experiments that I do normally just as a nerd who thinks too much about these things. Um, my big question is um, the guy that is played by the Russo brother at the beginning. You know, he's like, yeah. I'm moving on with my life. It's hard. I miss my husband, but I'm moving on with my life. Uh, and I was thinking, what what happens to the people who got married after the blip? You know, <laughs> five years is a long time. I, I mean, if if my wife died tomorrow, I would miss her, but it's completely conceivable that in five years I might meet somebody and remarry. So you meet somebody, you remarry, you maybe have another kid, you know, you've got a life going on and then poof, your wife's back. Hey, you know, yeah. like I, I want to know these stories now. Like there's all yeah. kinds of um, like, I, like I was to me, the most interesting thing about WandaVision and WandaVision had a lot of great stuff was just, the the resentment monica has she missed time with her mother you know and then when they and then when um uh, what's the bad guy's name oh hayward yeah when hayward says look you know just so you know she always believed you'd come back oh my god my heart broke there i'm like <laughs> you know she's like yeah she yeah. she made rules for when you come back because she knew you were going to come back she had that kind of faith in you and that's like I want to see those stories now, not just not just Monica's, but like there's all kinds of weird blip ramifications that it feels like we're getting. You yeah. know, it it feels like um, I mean Hawkeye's coming, right? And I, you know, as far as we know from the end of Endgame, 
Laura is just happy to be back alive. And, and Clint, I mean, but Laura doesn't, no time's passed for her. You know, she disintegrated and came back. And Clint has had, I want to see what it's like to, you know, Clint's lived through this world of five years of merciless killing of mafia. People. Yes, yes. So I'm, he's I'm changed. Really looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, he's a different guy. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not the same. I mean, now in real life, you know, my wife and I have known each other for 20 something years, you know, and, you know, I'm not the same person. Neither is she. But we've grown together, you know, skipping five years of that. That's that's going to be it's going to put you know trauma on our relationship so i want to see what ha what happens there and and i love that these series are showing us this i love that you know it's not so easy for sarah to just welcome sam back you know even though she knows it's not his fault even though she knows he's more than anybody in the world was trying to prevent this tragedy right. and is helpful for you know undoing it she still you know she had a life that i love that this show while not making her the focal is is dealing with that i love that carly's entire motivation is no we you know we were better at the world came together to deal with you know the trauma that the collective trauma of the entire planet which you know when they were filming the show at least when they started the show they didn't know that there'd be a global pandemic mm -hmm. but you know it, it this is again why we do these shows uh, my show and your show you know when we're relating to real events we're dealing with a global pandemic right now at the same time as we're worrying about, you know, immigration and border crossings in the United States, which makes no sense. You know, you know, yeah. the world should be coming together to solve this problem. And in their world, the world did. So now that we've solved this problem, as far as I can tell, the, you know, the United Nations is basically trying to figure out a way. How can we go back to the world that sucked? Because, you know, the world that sucked, we liked it. And Carly's saying no. And I was, I was like, yeah, she's right. You know, why shouldn't we be a global world where everybody just tries to get along? Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the people in power are going to benefit from going back to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And there are many voices, many perspectives that get left out in that conversation. And I think, unfortunately, you know, like you said, we're dealing with that in the real world as well. And I think that um, on that note, you know, I, I did want to also bring up uh, a, a new character who's introduced in this episode and and she kind of alludes to <laughs> a, as much, right? Uh, when, <laughs> when Val, yeah, when she says uh, to John Walker, you know, nobody's actually mad at that you killed him, right? It's just that these guys have this whole thing that they're trying to protect and she makes a money gesture and she's clearly saying, you know, it's about power and, and abuses of power here. And it's not actually about a moral sense of, oh, you did something wrong. So now we need to punish you. So um, so making that connection, uh, you know, maybe a good time to transition into that character. What can can you tell us as a comic reader about this character? And what was your reaction to seeing her? Allegra de Fontaine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that she's not going to be what I want her to be. Okay. Um, so Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine, the Contessa, as she was called in the comics, is a long-standing Marvel character. She was Nick Fury's girlfriend. She was an agent of Shield for a long, long time, and that's the history that I have with her. 
um, in a storyline, um, a Hydra storyline in, oh, oh, she's a character from the 60s and just had been around. Okay. In a Hydra storyline, you find out in, I want to say it's like 2003, that she's a double agent and she becomes the new Madam Hydra. So I think people are expecting her to be the villain here because more recent readers remember her that way. But then even then, it, you find out that she's a triple agent and she's working for another organization called Leviathan. So I don't know which version of Contessa we're getting. Sure. I'm certain we're probably going to be getting, you know, a more evil, manipulative one, which kind of frankly bores me. Um, I would rather her be a comp, you know, she was a badass before she was, you know, Lady Nick Fury, essentially. Cool. She was. And I I want her to be like Sam Jackson, you know, I'm going to do some stuff that maybe is not the prettiest in the world, you know, but like, I'm still, I want her to be a complicated good guy more than I want her to just be running secret Hydra. Okay. Mostly because we've seen that story before. Right. You know, we, we, we just did the, you know, yeah, we, we had a bunch of Captain America movies that were about fighting Hydra. We had seven seasons of, or well, four seasons out of, the run of agents of shield which were about fighting hydra i don't need more of that i've seen that story so i'd rather her be complicated but i expect that she's that we're leaning towards her being a new big bad i just have hope that maybe she's um maybe she's not maybe she's just a complicated figure who's going to be running the thunderbolts or something because she mm -hmm. does seem to be connected to john walker who um spoilers you know he's not going away in the comics he he becomes a character named um u.s agent who is still mm -hmm. a good guy but he's sort of mean captain america <laughs> <laughs> so so like i'm hoping that she's just running you know she's running like sort of a shadow organization of avengers um which might or might not be the Thunderbolts. That is one incarnation of the Thunderbolts, which is a comic book supergroup. Um, and we have reason to believe that because, you know, she's certainly working with John, who is um, who is sometimes the Thunderbolt in the comics. Um, and this issue, this issue, this episode very much tells us that Zemo is not going to Wakanda. He's not dead. He's going to the raft. Yeah. So there's bunches of bad guys there. Yeah. And Zemo traditionally is one of the leaders of the Thunderbolts. So I'm hoping that that's, that's kind of where we're going with this and that she'll be around and she'll be complicated rather than just, you know, mustache twirling bad guy because, because Julia Louis-Dreyfus is amazing and deserves better than to be a mustache twirling bad guy. And I think she probably... I assume there's more to it than that because more than anybody who's ever been in any of these movies, she doesn't need the work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. if, if she signed on for this, she is a big star. She's won eight or nine Emmys or something like that. And, you know, and by the way, for people who don't know her history, she was ridiculously wealthy before she became an actress. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's an heiress. She is literally loaded. Um, so she does not need the work. She, you know, this is why she's only in good stuff. You know, you yeah. see her in Seinfeld. You see her in Christine. You see her in um, in Veep. She only takes roles that she really, really wants because, you know, worst case scenario, she just never works again. And then she lives off of her <laughs> millions, if not billions, that she has. Holy so cow. She, yeah, she's really rich. Um, 
And she's in a lot of good stuff and she's a great actress. So I'm hoping there's more to it than just, oh, I'm the new bad guy. Right, right. That, that at least she'll, it sounds like she, so, you know, sometimes the actors bring something to a role that goes beyond how it's written on the page, right? And it, it certainly she's seems not, like she yeah, can bring that nuance in. So this is so she's already funnier in this, and, right. you know, her two minutes of screen time. She's funnier than Contessa has been in 60 years of comic. History. <laughs> so, Do you think we'll see her in the last episode of this show? Or do you think that was just a little teaser here and if we'll see anything, her in the future? We might get a cameo. This one yeah. is supposed to be her first appearance. Right. So spoilers is, are is that um, she is apparently we learned she's apparently in Black Widow. And I think this was supposed to be a callback yes. more than an appearance, but Black Widow was supposed to have been out a year ago. So we were supposed to know. I mean, I like, and she sort of shows up as though it's a surprise. Um, but like, we're supposed to know more about her than we do. And I get the impression, like, I, that's why I'm thinking she's like maybe starting her own Thunderbolts initiative, yeah. you know, like the way Nick Fury just sort of walks into those first few Marvel movies and says, hi, I'd like to talk to you about the Avengers <laughs> initiative. Right. You know, like, um, I think that's what she's doing is her version of that. And we would have seen her probably in Black Widow. Maybe we'll see her in Hawkeye. Um, we'll probably see her in Secret Invasion whenever that happens. Yeah. So that's where I'm guessing things are going. Cool. Um, Sounds that's great. Not, that's not a comic book storyline. That's just... That's me second guessing based on the, you know, the Feige protocols yes. <laughs> of, how, of how he, how he builds his, his yes. universes apparently. Yes. So, how you, you start know, to had... see characters sprinkled in and yeah. yeah. So thinking about where we're going for next week's finale, you know, what are your, your big questions or, or thoughts or predictions? Uh, you know, I have a couple, which is that yeah. seem obvious, you know, I think that we're definitely going to see Bucky make amends mm -hmm. with Nakajima in, in yeah. it was Brooklyn that they were in, right? Yeah. In episode I one. mean, it, I, I hope because otherwise, um, anyway, we got Isaiah back and, yeah. and that is a hard moment to have in the last episode of a show like this. Cause you know, I don't want it to be, you know, I don't want it to be a nice, you know, okay. Yeah. You killed my son, but you're a nice guy. So I'm going to hug you. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want it to be that. Um, he did something, you know, the, the, uh, my my uncle um, is uh, my uncle is a recovering compulsive gambler, and he's a he now works as a gambler's anonymous counselor. And the thing that you you learn when you're working the steps, which is basically what Bucky is doing, is he's working he's working the blank anonymous steps: Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous. They're sure. all the same. When you make amends, you are making amends. You are not lightening your own load sam tell yes. you know, sam who is again is supposed to be a counselor um people forget that but that's what he was doing when steve met him is he's a v he's a vet counselor you're making amends for them not for you and in in our movies a lot of times what happens is you go you know if you're an alcoholic and you go and you make amends and the person says i understand and they hug you and they and and you move on and maybe you even fall in love you know <laughs> um in real life what happens is people's people say f you i hate your guts you ruined my life yeah but you but the point is you owe them that anyway it's right. about you did something wrong. It's not about you feeling better. You did something wrong. And um, and they deserve the truth. And I think Nakajima deserves the truth. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know that it, it's complicated because I don't know that it makes his life better because now he's, you know, now he's just an old man who just is going to bring all this back. But the point should be, um, and this is what Sam was trying to tell Bucky, it's not about you here. Right. So You need to be of service. I loved that he said that. Go to them yeah. and be of service. Yeah. And I don't know how you do that in, you know, I assume this is going to be an hour, hour, 15 minutes next week. And, you know, 45 minutes of it, it's going to be punching John Walker. So, <laughs> so like, it's going to be weird to kind of throw that in in the last 10. But um, I, I, so I don't know how much we're going to get and how fulfilling that's going to be. Cause we've also in that hour and change, we've also clearly got to deal with this power broker thing. Yes. Yes. Matters. Um, and I mean, I, maybe it's, maybe it's Val, I guess. I don't know I who it is. I had that thought too. I like, I, and I know we're supposed to think it's Sharon, which makes me think it's not Sharon. Because, I'm with you again, there too. That's boring. You know, like it, it, like if it's like, Oh, I mean, I loved WandaVision. L l l don't get me wrong, but it was very clear for most of WandaVision that Agatha or um, I guess Agnes was mm -hmm. what he knew her as at the time, but Agnes is clearly not on the up and up. She's going to be a bad guy. And it's very, very telegraphed from very, very early on. And it made me want her not to be. And yes, she yeah. is more complicated. Thank you know, thankfully she's more complicated than that in this, in the show, but as catchy as the Agatha all along song <laughs> was, um, you know, I was kind of annoyed by it. It's like, yeah, of course it's Agatha. Duh. Cause it's not Monica. And, you know, only one other character has multiple, has multiple speaking roles. Right. Like, yeah. like I get that Dottie is a red herring, but Dottie talks like once. Right. And by episode <laughs> seven or eight, they weren't going to introduce someone entirely new, you know? Right. So I'm worried about the power broker. Cause we're out of, we're out of other characters, but like if, if Sharon's the power broker, her motive, you know, her motivations don't make any sense. She's being too helpful. Yes. You know, she's, you know, yes, I get that she's sick to Baytrock, which I, I don't know what's going on. I assume she's got some really, really complicated thing going on that um, maybe there's some scenes missing because of COVID, which I know was an issue shooting this. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, just from metatextual things outside, um, they hadn't shot all of Emily Van Camp scenes okay. and they had to make modifications. Um, they were luckily filming in Atlanta where the other TV show that she's on films, which has been, which has been useful because they were able to grab her, you know, at night, you know, when she was okay. not filming her, her main job and like, you know, do pickup scenes, but it's why she's on the phone all the time. Okay. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Cause they, they didn't have time to like drag her around and take her places and have her in more fights. You know, it's like, okay, so we'll just write, you know, you'll just call somebody. And there's a lot of her <laughs> just calling people because that's what they were able to do. So I'm hoping there's some narrative thread that ties this all together, but shy of it being some character from something else, which would be weird. You know, it's not going to be Don Cheadle. It, no. You know, it can't be Carly. So it could be Val or or maybe you're introducing, you know, I guess, it's lazy, but I guess you could be introducing the new conflict for, you know, for Secret Invasion or something or or, or some movie down the sure. line or Hawkeye. Or, sure. And, and I don't know who it's going to be. I just don't want it to be Sharon because that feels boring. Yeah, it feels very expected. Very expected mm -hmm. at this point. And or she's, maybe they'll do something great. 
You yeah, know, maybe they'll yeah. blow my mind, and it will yeah. be like. She's certainly up to something, and I hope mm-hmm. that we see it get resolved in the last episode. But I, I am hoping for it to be, uh, you know, nuanced and, and compelling uh, because I, I'm I, I do a lot like of punching. definitely <laughs> a lot of punching. I'm really excited to see Sam's new new getup, and you know, Sam, he. I felt this way after the penultimate episode of Wandavision as well, where I was like, okay, that was that was what I needed emotionally for my protagonist. And so whatever happens in the finale and, 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 you know, is related to that character. So in that case, Wanda, in this case, Sam, whatever happens in the finale feels like a nice epilogue. You know, we got so much hero's journey for him in this one episode, you know, the, his, the return home to Louisiana, the reward, right. That he, he gets for putting in his work personally and professionally speaking in terms of his, his training and opening that box at the end. And, you know, that to me was just so powerful. And I loved his character in the, this entire series. I've loved his character, but especially in this episode. So I hope that he's flying around and and just doing his thing mm-hmm. in the in the next episode, but whatever happens with him, I think I'm going to be happy. But um, I think yeah, that might be the formula for these. Based on these two shows, yeah. um, on WandaVision and Falcon, it feels like you know you get several episodes. It, it's a it's a TV show embedded in a Marvel movie, right? So you right. get um, so your episode next to last, your episode in minus one. So in this case, five, and the other one seven is this is the end of the story that we are telling that we are telling for our narrative here where Sam has Sam and Bucky have made their peace with each other. We're mm-hmm. going to be buds now, you know, we'll try to date because again, my head <laughs> and you can't tell me I'm wrong. Um, uh, though it is kind of, you know, I also kind of like that Bucky is interested in his sister. Yeah, that was cute. And, but yeah, that's kind of gross because yeah, I don't know. Um, like, <laughs> they're at least going to be, and you know, maybe it's the thing. I dated Steve. Now I'm dating your sister. And Sam's like, but what about me? Sorry. You know, oh, I don't Sam. Know. But, but um, I, I, I love that they're doing that. And I love that we got Sam's resolution with his family. Um, I love Sam's training montage. Again, that was amazing. Could have gone on forever. Could have been so watched the whole episode of him trying to flip and almost cut, slicing his own head off yes. each time. Um, it did seem weird. I, I, I wonder if originally he was supposed to be training before Bucky left because Bucky and he have that conversation where they're playing Frisbee at the Shield. And he seems much better at catching <laughs> it than he does a minute later when he's training I had training that by thought himself. too. I did. So, I I think there was some editing. (laughs) I tried to justify it to myself the second time I watched the episode where I was like, okay, I think he's a little bit further away and he's doing more complex throws and doing harder. He's doing more complex (laughs) movements and he doesn't have another person there. I don't know. I think I was just trying to rationalize it. Yeah, I think I can make it work, but I'm pretty sure they were just supposed to go the other way. Um, But I felt like this, I felt like this ended the Falcon and Winter Soldier story. Mm. And then now episode six is going to be, so now we're telling the Marvel Universe story. You know, this is, yes. where, this is yes. where if we were doing, if we were doing a regular movie where it was just going to be two hours in and out of these characters, you know, we would have had part of episode one, part of episode three, the last um, the first five minutes and the last five minutes of this one and then episode six. That's that would have been the cut if you were trying to like, <laughs> down to two hours. And and you know, you're like, you're not gonna get them, you know, having this snazzy conversation with um with the therapist lady. 
Um, right, <laughs> you know, right, right, like right. those things would not have been in the in the two hour cut. Um, and I'm glad we got them right. Like I'm I'm glad we. I am much more interested in. You know, as I said, I love the story of Sarah, but Sarah does not get her own. You know. 90 minute subplot in, 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 a, in, a, in a theatrical release. Right. So, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's the blueprint that we got with WandaVision is the finale episode is your larger universe tie in. And, and we'll meet a young adventurer. We'll meet at least oh, one yeah. young adventure per episode, possibly two. <laughs> because, because, you know, Tommy and Billy. Yeah. And um, um, Eli, right? And Eli is, is in this one. And he's not a young Avenger, but Torres is a character from the comics. Yes, yes, yes. yes. He's, I He's the backup Falcon. Right. I heard enough to recognize that when Sam walks away and says, you keep them, you know, regarding the wings, that that seemed to be a little bit of a nod to uh, mm-hmm. Torres becoming Falcon. Yeah. In the comics, Torres gets actual wings, like, that are part of him. But, you know, close. <laughs> MC doesn't have to follow it. Exactly. And Ring, Red Wing was an actual falcon, right? <laughs> yeah, Red Wing's an actual, Red Wing's an actual bird in the in the books. That Oh, um, sorry, not necessarily have, like, a falcon, but. Yeah, you know, he is a falcon. Yeah, oh, he, he is, is. He okay. Is a falcon. Yeah, um, but he's an actual, like, um, he's an actual avian bird as opposed to a drone. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also, um, and then Torres gets his powers when his DNA is spliced with Red Wings and so he grows wings and, you know, because comics. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't do that here. So, (laughs) but yeah, he, I mean, I imagine that they're doing a lot. I like, I don't know if anything's going to come of Torres. Maybe he shows up in this final battle, but I don't think he needs to. I think we're doing a lot of setting the stage because one day people are going to get old, you know, like Robert Downey Jr. You know, people are, people are aging out of roles and we've got to set the stage for phase nine. Right. (laughs) Or or whatever. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we start to wrap up here, were there any other scenes or moments that we haven't touched on that you wanted to comment on? I think we got, I think we went through a lot of stuff. We did. Um, I mean, I, um, I, I, <laughs> I thought the fight scene was cool, but yeah. uh, I mean, it was just, this show seems to make sure, want to make sure that we have at least one good set piece fight scene per episode. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess neat, you know, Falcon and, and Bucky can work together. Um, I liked the but, moves that Sam was doing with the wings. That was cool. Mm-hmm. And he knows to, and it shows you that he has practiced stuff like, oh, I know when to turn my jetpack on for extra power and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So that was, cool. it was neat, but I don't, you know, I'm glad they got it out of the way in the first five minutes. Um, I, you know, I, I, I would have been, it would have been hard for me to talk last episode because, you know, oh, they killed Battlestar. I like Battlestar in the comics. He's not a big. He's not a big important character. I like Battlestar in the comics, so so um, so you know they kill him. I, I guess that's fine. Um, but like I I liked um, I liked that John is deluding himself when he goes to see Lamar's parents. Yes, and that so I thought that was important, and I thought that much like everything else that John does, this is um, not the decisions that I would have made, but it went a long way. The, the The show really wants you to feel for John Walker, not to agree with him, but to feel that he is a human making human mistakes. Yes. And, um, and I like that without lines, it is very clear that Lamar's sister gets that he's lying. Yes. His parents don't, but you, you, you look on you. I mean, and they don't even tell you who that character is. She's just a girl who's there with his parents. So presumably, it's his young, I'm in my head, younger sister. 
she's she's just watching this guy who she knows is her brother's best friend tell the story of how her brother died and just you could just tell in her eyes that she knows it doesn't add up and i don't think we'll ever see her again um yeah because she's not a she's not a comic book important character or anything and that was so great though i love when they give viewers that that trust Mm -hmm. where we can just watch this (laughs) this actress interact with her eyes and Mm -hmm. we can pick up on who she is and Mm-hmm. and how she is um, taking in everything that he's saying. I thought that was fantastic. And I also thought that um, he, you know, he is lying to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's lying to himself, like, right? Like you said, he's deluding himself in the episode, of, of course, called Truth, which the title mm-hmm. works on multiple different levels. Other characters here are are confronting the truth in ways that they haven't before, and here you have John Walker, who is who can't right. He's not there, at least not yet. And he, I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll, he'll ever get there. Mm-hmm. He believes that he did the right thing. I mean, yeah. in the very beginning of the episode, he says he killed Lamar, and Sam's like, "No, he didn't." Yes, it's not you know. Yes. And it was Carly, and Carly did something wrong. But um, that that matters, and I think that I, I think that John can delude himself. You know. People delude themselves every day. Yeah. And if you say something enough times, it, it becomes true to you. Um, and I love that Lamar's sister, it's not true to her. Yeah. You know, his yeah. parents might need to hear this. His parents might need, you know, and I guess Lamar did die a hero, right? Like Lamar did die doing the right thing. Yes. And his parents needed to hear that. But his sister needs to, I, I cannot trust you. You got my brother killed. Oh, so that man. was yeah. There was just a lot that I really enjoyed about this. I was so happy with this episode. And like you said, for me, in many ways, this is the finale. If nothing else happens, um, that is story building. And then, and I'm sure there will be some stuff. Like there yeah. was some stuff at the end of WandaVision. Right. But the next next episode is going to be a lot of Van Gloria's fighting. And and, and yay. You know, but I, you I never know. Sort of Maybe in the middle of a fight, they'll hit us with some philosophical thought experiment. <laughs> Ship of Theseus all over again. Great. <laughs> I saw some people complaining about that. And I'm like, no. Yeah, no, no it was awesome. Was, I loved it. This is I how Vision so would solve it. I love yes, this. yes, exactly. Well, Mav, thank you so much again for joining me to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This was a blast. And I'm so glad it did end up being this episode. And I, I'm so glad to just hear your your insights and your and your perspectives on this episode as a comic fan as as a black man to hear some of, of your your personal stories related to this and, and related to representation and it's just really powerful stuff so i appreciate you uh you sharing all of that genuinely yeah, thanks for asking i look forward to talking about loki and Yes. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there'll be something. You told how you how you found our show. Um, you friended our show on Instagram, I think first is first thing. And I, you know, normally I don't even notice them, but you know, I go through and I check, and it was like, and it was, it was my Steve Rogers moment. I'm just kind of going through, you know, you, you know, Joe has liked your Instagram account. Yeah. <laughs> like your, there was an idea has liked your, and I'm like. I understand that reference. <laughs> so, yes. that, so that's when I checked it out. I'm like, that's clever. Let me go. And that's, I think you do a great show. I enjoyed listening to it. Thank you so I'm much. Happy to be here. And I'm, I'm so glad that you, that you uh, noticed my, my follow and my likes and whatever it was and that we made that connection. And before we go, just remind listeners again where they can go if they want to <laughs> listen to more of you and or interact with you. 
in a perfect world, I'm on every podcast every week, um, but that's hard. So the two, <laughs> so the yes. two that I'm on regularly are the one that we talked about mostly here, which is um, Vox Popcast, V-O-X-P-O-P-C-A-S-T dot com. And um, that is my pop culture analysis web, um, episode. Uh, my pop culture analysis podcast, where we talk about a different topic every week. Usually, we don't usually do deep dives. Like we don't, we're not gonna, unless it's a big thing. Like we'll do an in-game episode, but we're mm-hmm. not gonna look at every episode of of Falcon and Winter Soldier. We will do a you know end of the series thing, but we usually have some topic where we talk about the kind of cultural analysis that we did today on the show. And then my other show is Oh Gosh Oh Golly Oh Wow, which is. Um, the very opposite. We are doing <laughs> an academic analysis of every issue of the 126 um, issue run plus some specials. So probably about 130 episodes by, wow. by the time we're done of the of the comic series Excalibur, which ran from 1988 till 1998. Um, one of my perennial favorites. It's an X Men shoot off that takes place primarily in the UK. It is great. So if you want to hear just you know, an episode by episode analysis that, that um, you know, that's what we do on that show. So I'm doing a little bit of both. And then I pop up here and there on other shows like this one or, or yeah, I, I love podcasting. Podcasting so fun. And then you can also catch me pulling my hair out and grading final papers. It's getting to be that time, <laughs> that time of, the, of the year, which I'm sure is also true for you. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be present here on, on my podcast and I do look forward to talking to you again in the future about Loki, about future Marvel pro- uh, projects, or, you know, once I delve a little bit more into <laughs> comics, I'd love to maybe get some recommendations from you. And again, oh. I, I just appreciate, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks again. This is great. If you enjoyed this conversation about episode five of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you can follow the podcast at an idea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can find more about Christopher Maverick at chrismaverick.com and at the Vox podcast on social media, as well as wherever you find your podcasts. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Pender Illustrations on Instagram, and music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week to hear me and my guest of the week tackle the big ideas of the finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier.